Will the real Jesus please stand up? As we enter into the Christmas season, I think we need to get once again reacquainted with the reason why Jesus came to this earth in the first place. Because the reason why he came in the first place is the reason why he is here in this place this morning. But will the real Jesus please stand up? Now, as I get into the message this morning, please understand that I'm not trying to be argumentative at all about what I'm going to share. But I think that there is a different Jesus that is being preached in a lot of churches today other than the Jesus that we are introduced to and talked about in Scripture. And and it's not so much a different Jesus in the sense that it's a different person. It's a different Jesus, I believe, in the sense that there are so many churches who are not preaching the real Jesus, who Jesus really is and what Jesus has come completely to do in your life and in my life. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 4 in just a moment, but listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, just as I believe the Holy Spirit would say to us here this morning, that just as Eve was deceived by the craftiness of Satan, that if we're not careful, we can be so easily deceived by false teachers and apostles about who Jesus really is and taken away from, pulled away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit that is other than the Holy Spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. Now notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is not on a personal attack against these folks, but what he is attacking here, what he is addressing here are doctrinal issues. A different Jesus being preached, a different spirit, a different gospel. And so Paul said at the beginning of this passage of Scripture, he said that I'm concerned that when these false teachers and when these false preachers and apostles come in teaching a different Jesus and talking about a different spirit and a different gospel, he said, I'm concerned that you may very well put up with it. Now, the reason why I believe that there is a different Jesus being preached in churches today than what scripture gives us is because in a lot of churches people only preach that Jesus has come as a sort of fire insurance policy that he's come to save us and to give us the assurance of heaven and to rescue us from hell and that is a large part of the reason why Jesus has come in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 Jesus himself said that the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost but we read that and we think well the only reason Jesus came was to save us but that word save in Luke 19 and 10 is the Greek word sozo And it doesn't mean just saved from our sins. It's the word that many times in Scripture is translated wholeness. 
means that he's come to save, he's come to heal, he's come to deliver, and he's come to anoint us with the power of the Holy Spirit. But I don't have to tell you that. Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 4 why he came. Notice what he said. He said, so Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, now for some of you who don't believe that Jesus went to church, this scripture will disprove that theory very quickly. Because this was his custom, this was his habit, this is what he did on the Sabbath, it says. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And look at what he did. He stood up to read. In Luke chapter 4, the real Jesus stands up. And the real Jesus identifies who he really is and what he has really come to do for us. It says that he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah because in those services there would be a particular time in the schedule of the service where somebody would read from one of the Old Testament prophets. And on this day, and I don't believe it was coincidence, I believe it was by divine providence, Jesus was chosen from the crowd to come up and read Scripture from the Old Testament prophet. And when he came up, notice what it says, when he had opened the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it up, to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And this is what Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says. It says that he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You've got to understand that this synagogue is full of Pharisees. Pharisees who know that Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 was a passage of scripture about the promise of a coming Messiah. So they knew this scripture and they knew it well and they knew that it was written about the Messiah. And so Jesus comes to church in his hometown in Nazareth. He gets up in the pulpit. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read from it. And after he reads this prophecy about the Messiah, he says this, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let me interpret that for you. Jesus gets up in front of this synagogue and says to them, I am the Messiah. Now, now, you've got to understand, this would be like me going back to my home church at Alabaster Church of God and getting up in the pulpit and pulling out Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 and reading it and then saying to them, hey, behold, I am he. I have come. I am the Messiah. Because that's what's happening here. Jesus is in his hometown. He's in Nazareth. Up until this point, he has been a carpenter. 
And he walks into that synagogue and announces that he's the Messiah. And I'm sure that somebody was probably in the sanctuary that said, what? He's the Messiah? This is the guy who just last week built a deck on the back of my house. And now he's telling me that he is the Messiah. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying that today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah has come and I am he. And he begins to introduce the five-fold or the five foundational ministries of why he came. He begins to talk to us about why he came. Now, I want you to look at what the response of those people in that synagogue was the day that Jesus made that announcement. It said, so all those in the synagogue, this is what would happen if I went to my home church at Alabaster and, and I made this announcement. This is what they would probably do. This would be their response. So all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff now here's his first sermon and here's the response to his first sermon not a very positive response is it to the first sermon that Jesus would preach but I love what the next passage says and I don't have it here on the screen but it just simply said that Jesus passed through the crowd and just went on his way why? Because it was not yet his time to die. And so the Father moved him away from that crowd. But Jesus then shares with us why he came. The whole reason why he came here to this earth. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. And yes, first and foremost, Jesus came to bring to us the gift of salvation. But listen to what the scripture says here in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he said, here's the purpose for which I've been anointed. He said, first to preach the gospel to the poor. And we're going to look at both of those words here in a moment, gospel and poor. And then he said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's talking here about salvation. Let me give you a scripture that gives a little bit more clarity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, for God says... He's repeating something that God said. He said, for God says, in an accepted time, and this is another passage from Isaiah, for in an accepted time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, let me tell you what Paul is saying to us here very simply. He's saying that Jesus, when he came, he didn't just make a way by which we could accept salvation. No, that's not what he's talking about. The greater meaning when he talked about the acceptable year of the Lord is this. Jesus was saying, as a result of what I'm about to do, as a result of me giving my life, as a result of me shedding my blood, as a result of me paying the price for your sins, now you can be accepted by the Father. Because now your sin problem is going to be dealt with and what had separated you from God will no longer separate you from God, but now you can once again have a relationship. You can be accepted 
rejected by the Father. And so Jesus said, I have come to proclaim that acceptable year of the Lord. That because of what I'm about to do, you can be accepted into the kingdom of God and you can be accepted by Father God. Amen? But then he goes on and he says this. He said, but he's also anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And that word gospel just simply means good news. Good news. You see, this is not just good advice that Jesus is giving us here. This is good news that Jesus is giving us. And he said, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I want you to really notice the word poor there because he's not talking about the financially poor. If he were talking about the financially poor, that would exempt most of us as Americans because 98% of Americans are richer and wealthier than most people outside the United States of America. Sometimes we don't understand how blessed we are in this nation. We are blessed and the poorest of the poor in America are richest or richer than some of the richest of the rich in other nations of this world. So I'm thankful that he's not talking about those who are just rich financially because that would exempt many of us. He's talking about those that are poor in spirit, not just those poor financially, those that are poor in spirit. And there's actually two different Greek words that are translated poor in the New Testament. Now, I'm not trying to just give you a Greek lesson this morning, but it's important for us to understand these words and so that we can get the full impact of the meaning of this passage of Scripture. But first of all, there's the Greek word penace. And the penace means the working poor. Some of you are saying, that would be me, Pastor. I'm... I work, and I work hard, and I work long hours, but I'm still struggling financially. And that's what the word panace would mean. Somebody who's working, working hard, working long hours, but they still have enough to just take care of them on a daily basis. Talking about daily sustenance, not weekly sustenance, not monthly sustenance, not yearly sustenance. But it's people that are working hard and they have enough to get them through today. And tomorrow they'll work and earn enough to get them through another day. Their daily needs are being met. But that's not the word that Jesus used when he talked about the poor here in this passage of Scripture. He uses the Greek word tukos. Tukos. And tukos is those who are poor because they are unable to work. And they're legitimately, literally unable to work. Maybe they're maimed. Maybe they're crippled. Maybe there's some other kind of a physical ailment that they have that keeps them from being able to work. And because they can't work, they become beggars. And let me tell you what these beggars would do. They would go into the city and they would find a dark corner and they would hide themselves in the corner and they would have a little cup that they would put out where people could see the cup. But all they could see was the cup. They couldn't see the person who was begging because they didn't want anyone to be able to see their physical appearance. And they knew that if somebody didn't put something in the cup that they would die. 
that if somebody didn't put something in the cup, that they would not survive because they were physically unable to work. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. When it says that Jesus came to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He was talking about us who are poor in spirit because you do know that we cannot work to earn our salvation. We can only depend upon what Jesus does for us. That I put my cup out there and Jesus takes his righteousness and he deposits it into my cup so that what was unrighteous becomes righteous. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is I've come to save those who could never save themselves. You could not work hard enough to earn your way into heaven. You could not work hard enough to earn the gift of salvation. And Jesus said, I've come to give you good news. I've done the work for you. And all you've got to do now is receive the fruit of the work that I've already done for you. I've come to save those who could never, no matter how hard they work, save themselves. Can we thank Jesus today for our salvation that's made possible through him and him alone? But not only did he come to save The Bible also tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he's come to heal us in our soul, in our spirits. Notice what it says. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty them that are bruised. And again, that word brokenhearted is actually two different Greek words. The word heart comes from the Greek word cardio. And you know, we get our word, our physical heart word from that. We, we talk about somebody that has cardiac arrest or somebody that, that does cardio exercises. That's, that's where we get that word from. And so he's, he's not talking here, however, about our physical heart. He's, he's talking here about the seat of our emotions, And and then he says that he's come to heal those who are broken in their heart. And that word broken, get this, it is a Greek word that means that it is so shattered and it's broken into so many different pieces that it has become humanly impossible for it to be put back together again. Have you ever had that happen maybe with a a valuable uh, item in your house? that you accidentally dropped it and it shattered into about a thousand pieces and there was no human way possible that you were ever going to be able to put that valuable piece back together again. And sometimes that leaves us somewhat hopeless of thinking that we are so broken that we can never get our act together again. That we are so broken that we could never be made whole again. But here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes along and he said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. What is humanly impossible, what is impossible for man to do is not impossible for God to do. And somebody here this Christmas season, you need to understand you don't have to remain in your brokenness because Jesus has come and he can take the shattered pieces of your life and he can put those pieces back together and heal you and cause you to be whole for his glory. Amen. Thank God for Jesus this morning. And then, and then he says this, he said that he has also come to set at liberty them that are bruised. We know what a bruise is. Bruise is internal bleeding. 
But he's not talking again about a physical bruise here. He's talking about a bruise in your soul. A bruise in your spirit. Now I think every one of us here this morning, we understand what it means to be broken hearted. Somebody asked me one time, they said, well, pastor, how do you know? How do you know if, you're been, if your heart's been broken? And, and let me tell you how you can know if your heart's been broken. Are you breathing? Are you alive? Because if you're alive and you're breathing this morning, I'm, I guarantee you at some point in time in your life, your heart has been broken. And sometimes those bruises that have been left in our soul or in our spirit, maybe as a direct result of something that the enemy himself did, or maybe it's the result of something that another human being did to us, something that somebody said, or or something that somebody did. What I know from this passage of Scripture is this, and that is that those kinds of emotional bruises can cause you to go into bondage. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, I've come to set at liberty... Them that are bruised, hear me, your hurt, your offenses, those things that have been said to you, those things that have been done to you that have bruised, not just your physical being, but your spiritual being, your soul. Those things, if you are not careful, can cause you to be in bondage. But the good news is, Jesus said that I have been anointed to set at liberty them that are bruised. Amen. And I have been anointed to heal the shattered, broken hearts that will come to me. Oh, but there's a third thing that he talks about that he was sent to do, and that is freedom. He has come to set the captives free. That's why we have freedom small groups. That's why we talk so much about freedom here. Listen to me. It's because we preach the real Jesus. It's because we believe in the real Jesus of Luke chapter 4, that Jesus didn't come just to save us and give us fire insurance to keep us from hell and assurance of heaven. No, he's also come to heal our broken hearts. He's also come to set at liberty them that are bruised. He's also come to set the captive free. He doesn't just want to assure you of eternal life in the presence of the Father, but he wants to guarantee you a quality of life here on this earth. Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. You can enjoy that abundant life even now because of Jesus. Somebody thank God for the work of Jesus. Amen. Because here's what he said. He said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. (laughs) And to do more than just proclaim it, but to actually set people free. Because listen, just because you're saved don't mean you're free. Now, if we only believed in a Jesus that saved us, that means that we would have to live in in our bondage for the rest of our lives. But we don't serve a Jesus, and we don't preach a Jesus, and we don't teach a Jesus, and we don't just sing about a Jesus who gives us fire insurance to keep us from hell. We talk about a Jesus, and we preach a Jesus who is also able to set us free from our bondages, whatever it may be, whatever our addictions may be, whatever our hurts may be. He can deliver us from those things. Let me show you a passage of Scripture here. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Jesus is casting out a demon. And it was mute. So it was that when the demon had gone out, 
that the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled. But some of them said, here we go with them Pharisees again. He's casting out demons by Beelzebub. That is, he's casting out demons as the devil. It's like the devil casting out his demons. I know it don't make sense, but it didn't have to for the Pharisees. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. Well, they just saw a man get delivered from a mute demon. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. Now, he's setting them up because he said there's no way that Satan's going to cast out his own demons. Because they're not a divided kingdom. And they would be divided if that were the case. Matter of fact, he says that. He said, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? If Satan just goes around casting his own demons out of people, how's his kingdom going to stand? He said, because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. He said, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Now, that was sarcastic from Jesus because they weren't casting them out. They were trying, but they couldn't. And the Lord said, therefore, they will be your judges. That is, that lack of fruit will be testimony against you. But here's what Jesus said. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, the power of God, then he said, here's what that means. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And and, and then I love, oh, I love 21 and 22 in this passage. It says that when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But, But listen to what Jesus said. But when a stronger than he comes. How many of you would agree this morning that Jesus is stronger than any of the powers of hell and all of the powers of hell? And that's what he's saying here. He said, but when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. In other words, Jesus said, one stronger than the devil has come. So whatever has held you in bondage, I'm about to set you free from that. I don't care how strong your addiction is. I don't care how bad your anger problem is. I don't care how bad your bitter problem is. I don't care how bad your drinking problem is. I don't care how bad your drug problem is. I don't care how evil you are. One stronger than that has come to set the captive free. Hallelujah. This is Jesus we're talking about. Amen. And here's something else he's come to do. Not just to heal us innerly, but he has also come to heal us physically. Because listen to what he says. He said, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight. Now he's talking about physical healing. Recovery of sight to the blind. Now listen, I believe so much in Jesus as a healer that next Sunday, I'm going to declare next Sunday a healing Sunday in this house. And I'm going to preach to you more about Jesus the healer. And I believe we're going to see miracles take place in this room. 
But let me just give you a precursor to that. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says that when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits, now I love this, with a word. What do you think that word was? I think I know what it is. Go! I think that was it. That's all he had to say. And then it says he healed all who were sick. How many? All. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, now listen. I want to ask you a question. Does the Bible say that Jesus bore our sicknesses? Okay, so two, two people believe. Now, listen. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you, you know, yes, pastor, but. No, no yes, buts right now, okay? I'm not asking you what you believe about divine healing. I'm not asking you what your doctrinal stance is when it comes to divine healing. I'm just asking you, does the Bible say in this passage of Scripture that he bore our sicknesses? Yeah. All right, that's better. Yes, says that he bore our sicknesses. Let me show you another passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 24, talking about Jesus, said that who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, what does this passage tell us? It tells us that he bore our sins. Do you believe that Jesus bore our sins on his body at the cross? No one has a problem believing that. Pretty much everybody believes that he bore our sins But the Bible doesn't tell us that he just bore our sins. It also tells us that he bore our sicknesses on the cross. Okay? Luke chapter 5. There's a story there of a crippled man. Some of his friends come together and they want to take him to Jesus to have him prayed for. When they get him to the synagogue, it's so crowded, they can't get him to Jesus. You know the story, some of you do. They took him up on the roof of the temple, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered this guy. Can you imagine Jesus up there teaching, and then all of a sudden, all this commotion's going on, and a man comes being lowered down right in front of you. And when Jesus sees this man, listen to what he said to him. He said to him, Your sins are forgiven. Well, guess who was in the crowd? Pharisees. And they began to whisper among themselves, Who does he think he is? Saying to this man that your sins have been forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what Jesus' response was? I love his response. Here's what he said. Which is easier? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? In other words, Jesus is saying, neither one of these are hard for me. I can do either one. I can forgive sins, and as easily as I can forgive sins, I can heal and cause people to rise up and walk. 
It's not harder for Jesus to heal than it is for Jesus to save you. Did you hear me? He has already bore your sicknesses just as he has already bore your sins. Now, I've got another question for you. How were you saved? The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, right? Now, we got to be careful because sometimes we get it backwards and we say by faith through grace. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. It says that we are saved by grace through faith. And what grace means is that Jesus did the work. Jesus paid the price so that you and I could have, undeservedly so, the gift of salvation. Grace is gift. And how do we receive that gift? By faith. It is by grace through faith that we receive the gift of salvation. How do we receive healing for our bodies? Listen to me. The exact same way that we receive salvation. By grace. You can't work hard enough to earn it. Jesus has already paid the price for our healing. If we can get that. And healing is a gift of God's grace. So all I've got to do now is receive that. How? By faith. The same way that we are saved is the same way that we receive the healing that Jesus has already bore. Oh, somebody needs to get a hold of this here this morning. Because listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 says. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to understand in this house today that healing is not just something Jesus does. Healing is who he is. He is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And he never changes in who he is. He never changes in his character. Yes, he is a savior. Yes, he He's a redeemer, but he is also a healer, and he is a deliverer. Hallelujah. And we need to receive all that Jesus has paid for on our behalf. Oh, come on, somebody give Jesus praise in this house. As the team comes and gets ready to close us out this morning, let me show you the last thing that this passage said Jesus came to do. He came to anoint us with the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You say, well, I don't see that in this passage of Scripture. All the way back to the very beginning, look at what it says. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And we know that Jesus was anointed because Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all. Everybody say all. Some people say, well, show me a scripture where it says Jesus healed everybody. Okay, here's a scripture right here. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Yes, Jesus was anointed to save. Jesus was anointed to heal us of our emotional wounds. Jesus was anointed to deliver us and to set us free. Jesus was anointed in order that we could be healed physically in our bodies. But he was also anointed so that 
that he could anoint us. Because listen to what the scripture says in John 1.33. And there's many scriptures I could have pulled out this morning. But here's what John said. He said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. Talking about the anointing of Jesus. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then here's what Luke gave us as far as John's account of this. John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water. That's the element that I'm going to immerse you in. That's the element I'm going to baptize you in. I'm going to baptize you into water. But he said, I have somebody coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. And what is he going to baptize you with? He's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to anoint you to do even greater things, greater things. Somebody shout greater things. Listen, we can do greater things because there's more of us now who have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's more of us now who have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to go about doing the greater things that God has anointed us by Christ Jesus to do.